welcome to this episode of the Diabetes Dialogue. I'm Natalie Wisher, the CEO of the National Association of Diabetes Centres, NADC. Diabetes Dialogue is a podcast for healthcare professionals across Australia. We have presentations from leading experts worldwide, and it's our hope that this podcast series inspires you to provide optimal care for people living with diabetes. And now, let's welcome today's expert speaker, Dr. Matthew Oates. He'll present on interprofessional collaborative practice from theory to reality. Dr. Matthew Oates is a Senior Lecturer and Associate Dean at the School of Allied Health, La Trobe University, specialising in podiatry and interprofessional education. He has also led curriculum redesigns and the design of tools to measure interprofessional education. Additionally, Dr. Oates is a podiatrist and operates his own podiatry practice in Melbourne and is also a member of key educational associations internationally. Thank you for joining us, Matthew. Thank you for that lovely welcome and uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land um, from where I'm sitting today. And there, it's also the Wurundjeri Willem people um, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Um, well, thank you very much for the invitation and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. We have a long history having studied podiatry together many, many years ago. So uh, it's, it's been nice to reconnect with you all this afternoon. Um, and uh, I think this, this topic of interprofessional collaborative practice is obviously one that uh, looking at some of the survey data that Raina was able to send a uh, share with me um, in summary form is obviously uh, something that's important to many of you on this, on this, uh, in this session this afternoon. So I'm hoping uh, some of you that might not might know me um, might've heard me present before. Uh, I tend to take a fairly informal approach to these things. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, some perhaps some good questions and conversation and discussion at the end um, uh, of, of the presentation. Perhaps the um, where I'd like to sort of start is just by um, setting, I guess, this sort of notion of a sort of starting proposition that most of us on on the call uh, would be very uh, perhaps informed of the sort of benefits of interprofessional collaborative practice. Um, and these, uh, you only need to sort of head into the literature in this this field to sort of see that time and time again, um, the sort of benefit realization piece for interprofessional collaborative practice is, is reasonably well established now through um, fairly um, expansive sort of research that's been going on now for at least um, at least the last decade, but if certainly if not longer. Um, and uh, those benefits are largely centered around things like improvements in patient safety, uh, improvements in the quality of service delivery, the quality of healthcare outcomes that uh, uh, patients uh, achieve. Um, but I think also equally for us as individuals, it's often the, the job and career satisfaction piece that we sometimes don't um, think about uh, when we're able to collaborate with colleagues that span multiple or different professions. Um, so I think that that's something that I've always been attracted to in working interprofessionally uh, and collaborating with others. And I think for organisations, it's also that recruitment and retention um, sort of piece as well that, that becomes important. 
I guess the other starting proposition here is that, um, and certainly from the data uh, that Raina shared, is that I think, you know, um, people are absolutely sort of hungry for more opportunities to collaborate. Um, uh, I think undoubtedly many of you are doing this already. Um, uh, and depending on how you might conceptualise or, or, um, or think about interprofessional collaborative practice, some of you might be doing this actually very well. Others um, might be just starting out and, and just starting to really sort of understand what this might mean. Um, and so what I'm hoping is that, you know, by sort of work, walking through this sort of presentation uh, today, um, certainly what I hope to do is, is encourage and inspire people to, to kind of really dip their toes in the water a little bit more with this and, and actually start to see the benefits for themselves, but, but more importantly for, for their patients uh, and their clients. So I'll just, um, what, what I'll do this afternoon uh, and it's absolutely the university sort of academic in me, but um, uh, a little bit of sort of a th theory around this and a little bit of historical context. Um, I want to define just a couple of key terms that will come up in the, the presentation uh, over and over again, uh, because I think that's important. And actually, uh, one of the sort of warning signs with this space is that you can often discover a little bit of confusion around terminology in the literature, um, sometimes a little bit of interchangeability of terms um, that you just need to be aware of. Uh, so you can just make a little bit of sense of what someone might be reporting or talking about in some of that published research. Um, then I think it'd be helpful to uh, just highlight some of the challenges and barriers that people experience uh, when we talk a little bit about interprofessional collaborative practice. Um, and I think for some of you that might have participated in the survey, this will be very validating because, in fact, um, your identified challenges and barriers uh, very much reflect those that others report also. Um, so I don't think this will come as a surprise for many of you, uh, but sometimes it's just nice to know that you don't, you're not the only one feeling that way. Um, and uh, for reasons that I'm hoping will become a little bit obvious, I want to sort of signpost and signal um, and step you through some of the interprofessional collaborative practice competency frameworks that have emerged over the, the past few years. Because I think um, this actually becomes incredibly helpful when we're thinking about ourselves as individual practitioners, often working in isolation um, in our own um, uh, agency or within our own um, private uh, clinical setting or whatever that might look like for you. And then uh, finally, sort of talk a little bit about the, the sort of enablers um, and, and perhaps some of the low-hanging fruit. And I was saying to Raina earlier, I kind of, that term is not uh, a favourite of mine, I have to be honest. Um, but just some, some simple things that I think we can think about um, that could um, progress your work in this space and um, certainly progress your preparation for work in this sort of space and, and for working in this way. Um, so, uh, because I don't think, I think it's very easy, uh, particularly as very busy um, uh, healthcare professionals and healthcare workers um, to, to kind of get caught up in the, it, it's got, it's this interprofessional collaborative practice piece is going to be so complex. It's going to require so much effort and time on my part that um, it's actually just, it's, it's all just too difficult. 
So um, I'll talk a little bit about uh, about those strategies uh, towards the end. But I'm also hoping that through perhaps some questions and discussion at the end, we can also identify other opportunities um, that could could meet your needs in terms of uh, developing yourselves and preparing yourselves for working in this way. So there'll be a couple of terms um, that I've highlighted here that will come up throughout the, the presentation. But um, look, the World Health Organization definition um, from back in 2010 uh, really sort of sets the foundation for what we understand collaborative practice to mean. But this, no, these notions of multiple health workers from different professional backgrounds working together with patients, their families, their carers, and communities to deliver the highest quality of care across settings. And what invariably what you'll find are variations on this, this definition, um, but they it, it always talks, they, regardless of, of how the definition has been nuanced, um, multiple professionals, um, but also uh, improvements in quality of care uh, when you get that collaboration and that working together happening. And then I think if you step it back, the, the interprofessional collaborative practice can only really occur in a very meaningful and thoughtful and considered way and effective way if um, there's the corresponding sort of interprofessional education piece. So that's the actual explicit learning um, about, from, and with each other um, that enables uh, that effective co collaboration to occur with the intent that it would then lead to improved health, health outcomes and service quality. So um, IPE is something that obviously universities have paid a lot of attention to um, over the past few years and increasingly so um, as I think a little bit more about making sure that, you know, graduates that are leaving health professional training programs are absolutely collaborative practice ready. They're geared up with the knowledge, the capabilities, the attitudes that they need to sort of to succeed in that that way of working. And look, as I said earlier, there's a little bit of a warning just around some of the inconsistent use of terminology. Um, most of you, I imagine, would be familiar with terms like um, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, and I think historically those sort of terms have been really used to describe the degree of interactivity and engagement. Um, uh, sometimes in, with notions of, of professional boundary blurring or um, role sharing uh, across the healthcare team if it's set up in a particular way. Um, it's just that occasionally what you will see in the literature is sometimes interdisciplinary being interchanged with interprofessional. Um, so often you've got to get a little bit of a, a bit of context from whatever you might be reading to really sort of understand, well, what are they talking about here? Are they talking about the way the team is itself is actually kind of functioning? Um, uh, or are they trying, or they're more or less sort of referring to interprofessional sort of being this idea of, you know, collaborative um, collaboration between uh, health workers from different professions. Okay. So this, look, this might be a little bit harder to see, um, uh, this image here, but uh, back in 2010, the World Health Organization, uh, effectively through its um, framework for action on interprofessional education and collaborative practice, 
uh, provided a, a, almost a global call to arms for policymakers and governments and healthcare workers to really start to reconceptualize the way that healthcare was delivered. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, that was based historically uh, on the uh, and contextually, I guess, on sort of healthcare uh, worker shortage, labor shortage. Um, so, uh, and, and I find that kind of interesting because at the moment I think we're dealing with the same sorts of pressures. I mean, if um, I certainly know in my own profession that um, employing people at the moment is is incredibly challenging, and employing healthcare professionals is incredibly challenging. So, um, but back in 20, 2010, this sort of uh, workforce shortage was really challenging us to think rethink the way that healthcare was delivered. And um, look. I think the nice thing about this diagram in the framework here, I think whereas historically health, the health system and the education system that was preparing healthcare workers um, kind of sat in, in a very siloed way. And, um, you know, the nice thing about the framework is that it really starts to sort of bridge that nexus between the, the two systems. It says that if you want a collaborative practice ready workforce, that can deliver collab collaborative practice, that can strengthen healthcare systems, that can reduce fragmentation, that can improve health outcomes, then you need to provide the education and training, both of that future healthcare workforce, the, the undergraduate students or the pre-qualification students, but also the existing workforce as well. And I think for many of you and for me, you know, um, as an existing sort of healthcare workforce, it's that sort of education piece, that interprofessional education piece that we're looking for, that we don't quite know how we how we skill ourselves up, how we build our knowledge and capabilities so that we can be effective collaborators. Um, so I think that's um, that's fundamentally what the framework for action um, provided by the the WHO back in 2010 was was pitching for. So I'll, I'll sh I just wanted to share a, a sort of an example um, of a, an interprofessional collaborative practice um, uh, service. And, and I'm going to make it very clear here that I, I'm not the podiatrist who features in this particular example, um, but and it was shared, uh, the experience was shared by a colleague um, many years ago. But um, I just... Uh, wanted to perhaps use this just to sort of highlight um, just some of the challenges and barriers that I think um, some of you have also acknowledged in, in your response to the survey. Um, this was a, a very new service. Um, it was termed an interdisciplinary wound management service because um, there was an expectation that different team members uh, would uh, absolutely be able to conduct initial patient assessment regardless of professional scope of practice. Um, it worked on concepts of, a, you know, a wound is a wound is a wound um, for, for whatever reason, that anatomical location of the wound um, wasn't really a barrier to the provision of care, uh, particularly for, you know, someone like a podiatrist who might be more sort of comfortable and operate in that um, foot and ankle sort of region of the body, but equally so um, had, had sufficient you know, preparation and understanding of, of wound management, um, chronic, chronic wound management to be able to provide um, uh, equally appropriate treatment to a sacral wound or whatever it might have been. So um, 
as I said, uh, anyone could do the intake assessment and the initial assessment. Uh, this was a particular service where, where members of the team were co-located uh, physically uh, with the patient and carer and consultations were conducted in partnership and, and collaboratively. Um, but uh, I, re I remember this colleague expressing some um, uh, real uh, frustration at, at one particular moment in time because um, on, on a particular occasion, the, the geriatrician wasn't uh, uh, present at a consultation and um, the following this consultation with a particular patient, uh, the geriatrician reviewed the patient's notes or rec medical record and um, was quite upset that uh, the podiatrist had prescribed some um, management for inflammation and, um, and had instituted some treatment. And this caused quite a bit of conflict that uh, immediately within, within the team and certainly between the geriatrician and, and podiatrist uh, involved in delivering the care. So um, what was really sort of interesting is as this kind of un unpacked and unraveled and, and sort of was unpacked over a, a period of time, um, I think what became really evident was um, the geriatrician had very low levels of trust in certain aspects of care that were being provided by certain members of the team. And really where this kind of came from was a, a lack of understanding around professional pre preparation, professional scope of practice, role, clarity, and those sorts of issues. Um, and I think that trust piece is something that we hear time and time again with interprofessional collaborative practice. Um, how do you make sure that there's enough confidence of the capabilities and the scope and role and responsibility sort of piece within the team to make sure that all team members are absolutely confident that, you know, the, the nurse has got this, the podiatrist has got this, the geriatrician has got this absolutely covered. And I can feel confident that if I'm not there and I can't provide the normal care that might sit comfortably and historically within my, my professional role, that someone else can step in and, and take that on as kind of needs be. And I should say that the geriatrician wasn't questioning the quality of the treatment provided or the actual um, appropriateness of the treatment being provided to this particular patient. Um, it was as much about um, is the podiatrist qualified to provide that sort of uh, treatment and that sort of care? What kind of training do they get in the management of inflammation as part of their preparation um, before graduation and, and those sorts of things? So, um, you know, I think, I think the challenges and barriers are uh, uh, things that you're all, all aware of, the workload pressures, the high caseloads. Um, this limits our time for collaboration. Um, I think the lack of co-location frequently comes up, and I think particularly as in, in my context of, of having worked previously in, in private practice, um, you know, uh, yes, you might have others in your own profession in the same building, but how do I collaborate in a really sort of meaningful way with with the physiotherapist down the road or the GP or the whoever it might might be. I think one of the things we sometimes are prepared, it's it's almost like the elephant in the room uh, for want of a better term, but um, sometimes not acknowledging that um, healthcare is, does have elements of hierarchy. Um, and I think that can sometimes be a barrier to really meaningful and deep and, and effective collaboration. Um, it sometimes is, you know, it might feed into this unwillingness to collaborate sort of piece that people talk about. 
Um, and I'll, I'll always remember uh, being at a Australian um, safety and quality in healthcare conference many, many years ago and watching as an operating room theatre team um, role-played uh, a sentinel event that occurred in, in their hospital uh, where a patient uh, was op uh, where the wrong patient was operated on um, and as they kind of unpacked that through that role play at the conference you know it was really about you know the porter who was standing in the corner who who said to one of the theater nurses I think this might be the wrong patient and neither felt empowered to be able to sort of speak up um, and and that was largely about perceptions of position in the hierarchy. I think I'd be lying to you if I said um, interprofessional collaborative practice is easy and, you know, you just kind of need to get together in a group of you can kind of make it happen. The reality is that without leadership and without local champions, um, someone who's prepared to kind of drive the process, um, to bring people together, to create opportunities for collaboration, it doesn't. It, it doesn't happen. I think that, that local champion piece is something that um, we we should um, acknowledge is important. Uh, I think people talk about the challenges around profession-specific language, um, and we'll look, talk a little bit about that more as I go through the competency frameworks. Uh, absolutely, financially, there are, are barriers. Uh, you know, I think while things have got a little bit better um, with things like chronic disease management plans and those sorts of things, largely there are not really great incentives um, for us to collaborate with each other or, or to take time to collaborate. Um, and we have to acknowledge that while, you know, yes, uh, we, we are absolutely altruistic, um, there's also a level of pragmatism here. We have to pay bills. We have to um, feed ourselves. We have to do all those sorts of things. But look, I think, interestingly, the trust piece is probably the, the one that comes up. Um, and and the lack of explicit or formal training in, in interprofessional collaborative practice, the lack of preparation for it. Um, so I think uh, those are sort of the key things that consistently sort of emerge and emerge in the literature as some of the, the, the regular sort of barriers. So I think it can sometimes help um, to have a look. So, so following the, the framework for action on IPCP, um, by the WHO, uh, there was sort of a, a, an emergence of activity in terms of developing competency frameworks. Um, and early sort of pieces of these came out from the US and, and from Canada. Um, and my intention here is not to step you through um, and describe each and every one of these, absolutely not. Um, Jill Thistlethwaite, who many of you might know, um, uh, who's very uh, a leader in this field um, uh, and a GP, um, ha, has done some comparative analysis sort of work uh, a few years ago to look at some of the, the language and, and the elements of these competency frameworks. So you can certainly have a look at her, her analysis of those. Um, I just want to call out, I think, some key things which might sort of um, signpost you to the sort of learning that you might need to engage in. Because I think one of the things that I'm hoping you'll walk away from today's presentation with is if if I really want to engage in very meaningful um, interprofessional collaborative practice, I need to make sure that I'm kind of equipped with the knowledge and skills and capabilities to be able to do that really, really well. And 
while there might be elements of those capabilities that I have um, that I think I'm pretty good at or I've, I've, I've got them covered, there are probably other elements where I hadn't really thought about that. I can see how that's a really important thing to be able to do or to be able or skill to have. Um, so I, I need to think about that in the context of, of what my next into, you know, my next professional development sort of opportunity might look like. So um, look, these are just a few that uh, I've, I've kind of summarized here. Um, I, I, I telecise the O'Keefe, Henderson and Chick um, uh, ones because they're, they're competency statements and actually they, they're kind of neat in terms of being able to sort of provide that very sort of high level sort of checklist of things that um, you, you may want to think about in terms of your own, uh, own preparation for coll collaborative, interprofessional collaborative practice. Um, so as I said, I won't, I won't talk through all of these. Um, I'll kind of click between them a little bit. Um, but uh, I just want you to kind of look at the sort of things that seem to emerge and appear fairly consistently across the frameworks, regardless of, of where they've been developed and who's developed them. Um, and I think the th interesting thing for me is typically you will see reference to role clarification. Um, so here in the Canadian uh, competencies, role clarification is important, as it is here, um, roles and responsibilities for collaborative practice, um, uh, role clarification here in the Curtin University Interprofessional Capability Framework. Um, so, so that role clarification piece um, and scope of practice and understanding what, what um, Gary Rogers um, uh, previously from Griffith there, University there would terms that health professions literacy um, kind of idea. Uh, do I really understand what the role of the social worker is in the healthcare team? Do I really understand what the role of the diabetes educator is? Um, and, and I think sometimes we need to keep in mind also that our understanding of roles um, is often based on our own frequent engagement um, or personal contact with those, uh, those health professionals. Uh, and we also need to keep in mind that roles and scope of practice evolve over time. And I think we've seen that happen in some of our allied health professions, um, particularly over the last few years. And I look at examples like occupational therapy and um, the sort of evolution, particularly in the mental health space that that, that profession has undergone um, as sort of being something that was perhaps not as evident to me as a student in allied health, you know, 20 years ago. Um, team functioning, I mean, this is perhaps an obvious one, but actually just being able to really function well in a team and uh, that will sit across multiple competency frameworks as will some sort of dimension to communication, um, be it termed as sort of conflict resolution. And I think we, it'd be fair to say that most of us would find resolving conflict in the context of our own um, monodisciplinary sort of context is relatively straightforward perhaps because we have the confidence I think in the shared professional language to be able to manage that but where it gets a bit a bit more challenging is when I'm, I'm having to kind of manage that conflict or that disagreement or um, argue for an alternative view with someone who doesn't share that same professional context or that same professional language um, that, that I might have within my own my own profession. So so look, there's 
those tend to be the sort of key things. But um, what I uh, like, certainly as you start to come to something like the O'Keefe um, competency statements, into professional learning competency statements, and, and as you can appreciate, these very much speak to undergraduate or entry level healthcare students. But at the same time, I think they're equally relevant for those of us in that post-qualification context. But, you know, th there are potentially things here that you can kind of say, look, you know, I, I think I do this really well, but actually I'm not sure that I can, you know, really resolve disagreements um, in relation to patient care that might arise from, from those different disciplinary perspectives. So I need to think about ways that I might try and develop that capability. Now, I think the harder question is, well, how do I do that? And I think that's when we start to open up a conversation about, well, what does the professional development piece look like? Who's responsible for helping us to access that professional development? And I think there's a real opportunity for organisations like universities to very much partner with professional groups and associations like this um, to look at those sorts of opportunities. Um, but uh, this is the reason that I sort of talk a little bit about um, the, the competencies. Um, look, it, I think it's it's fair to say that if you can kind of flip the enablers on their head a little bit, um, uh, yeah, sorry, if you can flip the challenges and barriers a little bit on their head, you can probably come up with some enablers. Um, uh, there are some described, obviously, in, in um, published literature. I, I do like this work particularly of um, uh, Morgan and colleagues over in New Zealand who looked at uh, publi published studies of eff effective interprofessional collaborative practice that used direct observation methods to really try and understand what it was that kind of featured heavily in those successful interprofessional collaborative practice opportunities. Because I think then this kind of gives us some insight into the sorts of things that we might be able to do. So, um, you know, I think, interestingly, this constant sort of opportunity for effective, frequent, informal shared communication emerges as sort of the most kind of key thing um, uh, to successful interprofessional collaborative practice. Um, and I think we need to think about that in the context also then of, well, how do you do that when... I'm here and all these other people are out there. And I think we've seen that that can happen, particularly over the last couple of years. There's, we suddenly find ourselves in a space where patients are more comfortable being online, we're more comfortable being online and communicating in that way. So I think that's creating a lot of opportunity for us. I think we have to acknowledge sometimes we're part-time. Um, people come in and people come at, go out. Um, and so this idea of multiple channels for that repeated, often brief, informal shared communication, you know, what about the virtual sort of whiteboard that might be uh, absolutely, if you can deal with the sort of security issues around um, online um, information being uh, stored somewhere, but, you know, synonymous to that whiteboard that sits in the shared sort of space that people can kind of jot notes down or, or make comments on. Um, that might relate to particular patients who are experiencing or who are receiving care. Um, and look, I know this talks a lot to the sort of physical space kind of piece where you might have health professionals co-located, um, but just 
the sort of physical space configuration that supports that informal shared communication um, and creating opportunities for frequent brief time in common um, is something that emerges as sort of one of the sort of simple things that you can look to do. But absolutely, I acknowledge that uh, we don't all have that luxury of being co-located in a common space. Um, but this is where perhaps there are opportunities for local champions in, in particular geographical regions to set up some of those opportunities for that um, brief connection, informal connection, using some of the technology that we might um, we might uh, now have sort of a little bit more at our fingertips and, and it, that has become increasingly reliable over time. So um, uh, look, I think I probably covered most of this as I've talked a little bit um, to the last slide, but you know, if you are in that in that sort of context of health professionals co-located, then things like shared break times become really helpful. Um, but perhaps this is something that can be organised uh, across a, a, a geographical region. Um, I think some of the the important things are the learning piece, uh, and it's probably not explicitly sort of stated here. But how do we create those opportunities for you to to learn and to develop those skills and capabilities? Um, that are required for successful interprofessional collaborative practice. Who takes charge? How is it delivered? How do you receive it? Um, how do you kind of foster that sort of environment for people? Um, but I think uh, absolutely we should we should look at new opportunities for doing this um, and for setting up interprofessional collaborative practice, particularly as we've kind of become a lot more familiar and comfortable with um, some of our access to those online communication tools. So look, to, to summarise, I'm conscious of the, the time and I think I'm heading into question time. Um, but, you know, the benefits of, of effective interprofessional collaborative practice are well established, but the uptake of, of interprofessional collaborative practice is patchy. Um, for a variety of reasons, but lack of formal training is often cited as a key factor. Uh, lack of preparedness. Um, uh, and so I think that's where we have some real opportunity. We have some real opportunity to look at how we might support you uh, to develop those skills and capabilities and the knowledge that you need to be uh, absolutely geared up for collaborative practice. I think competency frameworks, uh, while largely sort of pitched at entry level education, also become a little bit of a beacon as to the sort of preparation and training you might need. Um, so I think we need to leverage those in that way to understand what that education and preparation piece might look like for you. Um, and I, I think uh, if we can do it so that uh, it, it's not complex, it doesn't create additional workload. In fact, if it's done really well, it might save time. Um, it might lead to cost benefits elsewhere, um, then we need to think about those sorts of creative opportunities to, to bring people together, um, to create those opportunities to collaborate. And uh, if you are operating in the context of an institution or organisation, then absolutely, the support of that organisation or that institution um, will go a long way to, to supporting and sustaining uh, effective interprofessional collaboration. So look, I might stop there. It's been a bit of a, I think, a, probably a whirlwind presentation. 
thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Diabetes Dialogue podcast by the National Association of Diabetes Centres. For more insights and resources, visit our website at nadc.net.au. The NADC is here to support you and your team in providing excellence in diabetes care. Until next time, keep up the dialogue on diabetes.